Children, you can meet in the back corner for children's church. The rest of you, let's open up our Bibles together to the Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew, we are at chapter uh, 6 of Matthew, verse 5. If you are visiting, we are uh, currently working our way through uh, the Gospel of Matthew. So we are today at Matthew chapter 5. We'll be looking at the Lord's Prayer. So uh, definitely a passage that has some familiarity uh, amongst uh, regular church attenders uh, with um, some good knowledge of the Bible. So we are at Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to pick one up over on the resource table. So you can follow along with us. Uh, Let's read God's word together. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you right now and study uh, what you have taught us on prayer, uh, we, we pray, God, that you would meet with us in this time, that you would illuminate your truth, that you would uh, help to produce change in our lives when it comes to this amazing privilege and opportunity that we have to communicate to you, the living God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, today's first day uh, of Sunday NFL football. As I start thinking about football and that, it reminds me of one of these traditions that we've had at Covenant for a long time, the chili cook-off. We would do it on Super Bowl Sunday. Do we have any past winners here? Raise your hand if you have won one of the years. We got, we got a few past winners. We stopped doing it this past year simply because we've gotten too big as a church and it's too hard for us to congregate at the place that we rent. So we're probably not going to do that again. But I miss the competition element of the church. That everybody could come in uh, with the chili cook-off. We would judge based on taste, based on like presentation, uh, based on how spicy it was. There was a bunch of categories. Uh, one year it was so complicated you needed a degree to figure out how to do. The other time, I just wung it and picked somebody. Uh, even though I, we had all these sheets, I just picked somebody. So I've got the substitute now for chili cook-off at church. We're going to probably do it sometime early next year. We're going to do a prayer-off. You heard me right. 
We're going to do a prayer off. We are going to have a contest to see who the best public prayer is in our congregation. So we're going to get together. Uh, We'll have a panel of judges, and you're going to have to to pray. We're going to judge. First of all, if your voice is pleasing, that'll be a category. Because, like, if you can't hear the person or their voice is kind of annoying, probably not going to score high. Uh, We will be judging on content of the prayer, how, you know, biblical and how solid. We're also going to use, like, was it emotional? Did you, were you gripped by their, their prayer? And what will happen is we've got these trophies being made. It'll have hands folded. And I'm really looking forward to it. I'm seeing some looks of concern. We are not doing that. As of now, as some of the elders are like, this is a good idea, Joe. Uh, we're not going to do it. Why? One, because it seems wrong, right? Even after we just read like, probably doesn't line up with what Jesus just taught here. And then secondly, I don't think I would get many contestants. It's been said, you want to humble somebody, ask them about their prayer life. I think we have a very small group of people in our congregation that are that self-confident in their prayer life. They're like, I've got this. Like, like I didn't see any, any husbands look over wife. This is me. This is my title. Besides Pete. I saw Pete. No, he's like, I did not. See, I think the reality is prayer is an aspect of our faith that it's a struggle. We either find ourselves feeling completely inadequate. We feel it's like the way that we can somehow manipulate God into doing what we want. And then for a few exceptions, it's actually a means by which we kind of feel confident in ourselves, where we can kind of show off that we know the words and we can kind of play the part. But Jesus desires us to be people of prayer. He wants us to pray rightly. He wants us to exalt the Lord through prayer. So that's what today's passage is is for us. It's going to be kind of teaching you and I how we are to pray. Like what is prayer supposed to look like in the eyes of God? Uh, To get started, we're going to see our attitude towards prayer. The manner in which we approach prayer, we're going to unpack. Secondly, We're going to look at our aim in prayer. And this is important. Who are we praying to? Because that makes the world of difference when we start thinking of prayer. And then lastly, we're going to look at our awareness in prayer. We're going to really ask and answer the question, why? Why pray at all? What's the point? Why are we doing this? So let's begin as we see our attitude in prayer. Uh, As I said, we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, a transition happened in in the Sermon on the Mount for us. Pastor Andy preached on giving. And prior to that passage, we kept hearing it says, it would keep saying this, and you heard it, what? You heard it said. And he's like, but I say to you, and he's really at that point up to chapter six, he's confronting faulty beliefs manipulations of past understanding. He's like, no, that's wrong. But when we get to chapter 6, there's a transition now instead of faulty beliefs, faulty living. And we saw it in the example that Andy looked at with regards to giving. That they were giving in a way just to show off. They didn't have a good heart. They weren't doing it in honor of Christ. No, they just did it so it looked good. And what Jesus called them out was their public displays 
of religion and faith. And now, same idea, same, same kind of confrontation. He's going to call out how they pray. Well, first of all, let's look at how not to pray. Read verse 5 with me. He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and they pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Then go down to verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. In both of those verses, we're starting to see an example of how not to pray. First of all, prayer is not meant to be a public spectacle, to stand in front, to to show off. One of the things I always love, my office is at the YMCA, so I'm at a family fitness center And I will periodically go upstairs and I'll work out. And I love watching the flexors. What am I talking about? It's typically a younger guy, willing to stereotype 17 to 30, who loves to look in the mirror while he's working out and flexing his muscles. And like every day, I guarantee I I can see one and they'll be up there and they'll be like this. And they'll be doing, and like, and it, it, there's a correlation. If there is an attractive woman working out at the same time, flexing increases. It just, it does. Like, I, I know it. I see a pretty girl. I see the young guy looking over at the pretty girl. And he's like, I'm going to show off my triceps. So it, it just happens. Sometimes it leads to the loud working out too. Like the guy will be breathing. And I'm like, everything you're doing is getting that girl to not look at you, bud. Like, I want to have this whole consultation with them. Well, like, it's cringeworthy when I watch that at the Y. They were these people that Jesus is confronting. Their prayer life was cringeworthy. They were getting in front of the crowds. They were doing it simply to show off their spiritual muscles. Luke 18, 11, Jesus gives an example of this. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed this, God, I thank you that I am not like these other men, like extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Like that was how they were praying. That was being done to get the attention of others. But it wasn't just the public spectacle of it. It was the plethora of words. This one he says, don't heap up empty phrases. You remember uh, the the story with uh, the prophets of Baal. They just kept praying and praying and praying. And hopefully that their God or gods were going to listen to them. It was just these empty words. And what they were doing is they had a certain vocabulary, probably a certain tone. They sounded different when they prayed. It was like this special thing that was happening. I remember the first time. So Tom Holland is the actor as of, who plays the Spider-Man currently in the Marvel movies. I had no idea the first time I watched Spider-Man that he is British. So he just sounds like a good old American boy in the movie, just talks normal. And then I watched an interview, and he does not sound like that. He's British. He's got an accent, and it just it floored me. I couldn't. I was like, wow, it's like two separate people. And I think what they were confronting is that was kind of how these people were. It was like they had two separate people. I remember I had a, a classmate in seminary. He was from Kentucky. He was a Kentucky boy. Sweet guy. But when he prayed, it was like I didn't even recognize him. 
It, he used words that I've never heard him use. It was like two, and that's kind of what Jesus is calling out. This idea of just like by using all these words and sounding special, it is better prayer. And that's not the case. Proverbs 27, or 17, 27. He said, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. Now, as we're going to look at a little bit, this is not opposed to reverence. This does not mean that we can't use the word of God in our prayer life, but it's all about the show. It was all about the show last week when Andy looked at giving. That they just love to show off, like, look at how much money we're giving. Look at how much we're doing. And the same is true in this prayer, that they're doing that. And notice what the reward is. He said, you've already received your reward. And what is that? Man's esteem. Man's approval. As if by doing this, God would hear them more. So let's be honest. Are you showy in your prayer? Do you want man's esteem? How about just between you and God, though? Are your words getting in the way of your prayer? I think a lot of people don't pray because they feel like they don't have the right words to say to God. They're like, my prayers are just kind of awful, so like, why would I pray? As if God is judging your language of words, he just wants you to pray. He wants you to come to him. So that was how not to pray. Well, how do you pray? Look at verse 6. He says, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. Just like God is pro-giving, God is pro-prayer. It's not about the practice of prayer. God is confronting the, the performance of prayer. He's wanting them to be doing prayer rightly rather than wrongly. Also, and I don't want to digress too much, God is not against public prayer, okay? So us praying during the service is not like God's like, what are you doing? No, but he is confronting the reality that private prayer has lost its meaning with them. First of all, notice what he says. One, how to pray rightly? We go to the secret place. We're supposed to pray where we go somewhere that no one is seeing what you're doing. Last week he told them to give that your right hand doesn't know what is what happened, what the left hand is doing. And you and I, we're to pray in a way that it's not done for show. Now, does that mean it has to be in a room? Maybe, maybe not. But the point is getting away. And I think here is the 2023 challenge as you and I think about this. This is so foreign to us, the idea of us being in a room alone with God. Why? Why is it so difficult? Everybody, right? You're constantly glued to your phone. You're constantly glued to television. You're constantly glued to social media. You do all that stuff. And now Jesus, in the midst of all of this, is saying, I want you with God alone. That's what prayer is. And it, like for us, I, it, like, like legitimately, we are habitually so trained against this that it is really, really hard, but yet it's the way of Christ. Luke 5.15, listen. Even more the reports about him, Jesus, went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. 
Jesus had a pattern of going to the secret place. Just him and his father. And pray. But not just the secret place, the simple prayers. Listen to to what it said in verse 8. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. In other words, pray simply. Have you ever heard the saying, beating around the bush? Everybody, in some capacity? So beating around the bush, what does it mean? It's a, it's, it's a term used because when they would go hunting for birds, somebody would come along and literally beat the bushes, because guess where the birds were hiding? In the bushes. You beat the bushes, birds would go up flying, and then you would go and you would hunt the birds. And the, the, the point behind the statement is kind of get to the point. We're not here to beat bushes, we're here to get the birds. And, and what I, I think the, the problem is for you and I, when we pray, because we're so insecure, because we're so ill-equipped at times, we try to beat around the bush when we pray. As if, like, we got to butter God up before we can pray to him. Get it all lined up perfectly. Like, okay, all right, now God, he's ready. Now I can pray to him. And, and God's like, I know what you need before you say a word. Now, that doesn't mean we don't say the word, but, like, have an understanding that I want you to just pray. Just come before me. Matthew 18, 4, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. I think some of the sweetest prayer is, is children because they don't have all the, the baggage that you and I. When my youngest kids want something, like when Finn needs something, he just straight up says it. There's no, like my older ones might, might take a trip to get to the point where like, hey, can I? And what Jesus is saying, quit taking the trip. Just, just come. Go secretly before the Father and just express the desires of your heart. And then notice here's the, the, the glorious truth. That God hears those prayers. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. James 5, 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That we have a God who hears and answers our prayers. So I do, I want us to think about this on a practical application level. Are you having secret time with God in prayer? I'm gonna even narrow this down. You're under the age of 25. I'm specifically talking to you. This applies to all the people 25 and up, but young people, high schoolers. Are you making time? That's God's intent for you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Prayer is not for old people who have nothing better to do. God's intent is he wants secret time with you. And like I said, it's tough because we got phones. We've developed such bad habits. Like the idea of one of my kids didn't have as good of a grade. He's not in here, so I can say that. It wasn't that bad of a grade. We're just, I'll be honest, we're kind of nutty as parents. Our expectation level's really, really high. And uh, he was not allowed to play video games this week. It was, it was, it was so damaging to him. He's like, what am I going to do? Like, what am I, I have to, there's nothing to do. Like, there's nothing. He's like, no, he's like, I can't watch TV. I can't, like, what am I going to do? And I think too many of us, that's kind of our, like, maybe you need to pray. 
That God, you like make that time, carve that time out where you get to spend time with God. I think one of the great, great movements of Satan is the distraction of our society. Slowly and subtly have gotten us so wired to this world that like we, the idea, if, if right now we're not going to do it. If I spent five minutes, we're just going to stand here, sit here, and just I want you to spend time with prayer. That would be one of the most awkward five minutes of your week, right? Because we have no comprehension of what that looks like. So that's our attitude in prayer, how not to pray, how to pray. Let's look at our aim. Who are we praying to? Because part of the problem is their prayers were not, like God was a footnote in their prayer. And Jesus is like, that's not how it's supposed to be. He should be central to their prayer. Verse all, we pray to our Father. Listen to what he says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Take note of the relationship. Now, Jesus says our Father. It doesn't seem that big of a deal. Why? Because who is Jesus? He is the Son God the Father, like that dynamic. But what is true for you and I, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, God is our what? Our Father, right? So there's that relational element. Here's another thing that we do have to address. Not everybody in here has a relationship with their Father. Earthly Father I'm speaking of. Some of you, you're, you're in God's providence, your Father has died. So that's in the past. Others, father's still alive, you just don't. I don't. I have not spoken to my father. It's a, it's a mess. It is what it is for 11 years. So like when we hear this father language, it doesn't necessarily sound good to you. Because you have baggage when you think of father. Now some of you though, you've had a really good, healthy, your dad has been amazing. So it, it's relatable. Uh, here's, here's the tension and here's what we need to do. We need to ignore whatever kind of earthly experience of of father and realize that God the father is the greatest example of what fatherhood looks like. And then we get to go to him. Because here's the deal. John 1, 12 says, to all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you have this relationship with God the father. And if you have a relationship with God the father, you have access to your father. That's the big deal. That we have access to him. I get lots of phone calls as a pastor. If it's Abby or the kids, under rare, rare exceptions, will I not answer it? Even when I meet with people. I'll even clarify that even in the beginning of a meeting. Hey, if I get a phone call. Because like, there's, an, there's a relational element that if something's going on and my child needs me, there's very few situations where I'm not getting interrupted. And you understand, that's like, here, here's the amazing thing when we start thinking of what Jesus is saying. That you and I, we pray to our Father, and guess what? It never goes to voicemail. Think about that. That he is always accessible to us. Isaiah 43, 4 says, You are precious in my eyes, honored, and I love you. Consider the lyrics of this one song, um, Francisca Battis, it's something like that. I don't know her last name. There you go, thank you. 
I don't need my name in lights. I'm famous in my father's eye. Make no mistake. He knows my name. God knows your name. Think of that when you pray. He knows you intimately and personally, but not just the relationship. Notice the reverence. So there's the confidence part, but then it says, in heaven, hallowed be your name. When Jesus says God is, the Father is in heaven, he is not necessarily focusing on location. That you're on earth, he's in heaven, it's a large chasm and gap, so you're going to need to use some long distance. That No, I think what he's doing is he's stressing the distinction between creator and creation. That we're not God, he is God. And the hallowed be thy name, it's the idea of honoring and glorifying and exalting the name. And when you do that, you're honor, honoring and glorifying and exalting who? God. That's why the Masorites who did the Hebrew text, they would not say Yahweh because they felt as if it was dishonoring of God to even say his name. So there's this weird tension when we think of who we're praying to. We're praying to the Father. We have this relationship, but we're also to pray to the one who should be receiving our reverence and our awe. Hebrews 12, 28 says, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. So one, are you amazed at the relationship? Are you in awe that you have a God that you can approach you and you have access to? I think it's part of the reason we don't pray because we don't believe that. I think we feel like God is somehow bothered. He's somehow annoyed by us. And like, I don't, he's got a lot of stuff going on. He doesn't want to hear from me. But also, do you approach him with reverence, with awe? Because we pray not only to our Father, we pray for our Father. Listen to what he says. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven that we're praying for God to do what he intends to do. And as we start saying for his kingdom and his will, we start reminding ourselves that there's an alternative to that, isn't there? What's the alternative to God's will and God's kingdom? Say it. My will, my kingdom, our agenda. James 4.3, it warns us, you ask and do not receive because you act, ask wrongly, to spend it on your passions. I think Jesus' prayer is so counter-cultural and self-denying. Because I think here's what happens often with prayer. Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter. This is how we pray. Kind of three ways. One, we pray that God is a genie. And you get so many wishes. It's like, God, I'd like this, 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 this. He's not a genie, he's Santa, and we have our list. And then we think, we're, we're twisted that I've been good, so he's going to get me what I want. But then here's the, here's the, if we don't pray like that, the other way that we pray, and I've seen this, we pray as though God is our servant. And I've seen it in the name and in claimant realms of churches. And actually, I've seen those people confront, if you say, if it is the Lord's will, they'll say, well, that doesn't sound very faith-filled. 
No, God, we don't talk to God like that. You understand that with prayer. We can plead, God, please say, please do all these things, but we don't tell God what to do. You don't say, hey, hey, bud, hey, up there, you need to do this. Because he's the God who spoke creations and existence. He doesn't need to do anything. It's his grace and mercy that he answers us and does. So that's, I think, the twisted agenda of you and I. And at the end of the day, I think what Jesus is teaching us is prayer is not about who? It's not about us. Because God's agenda needs to become our agenda. Listen to what he says. Pray for your kingdom come. Paul was in the habit of this. Philippians 1, he says, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And then he goes on to verse 23. I'm hard pressed between the two. It sounds really morbid what Paul is saying. But Paul is saying, I would rather die now because I get to be with Jesus. However, because of you all, I've got to stay here and minister. And it's okay and I'm I'm willing to do it. But if I have a choice, heaven and Jesus, you guys, heaven and Jesus. But he's ultimately praying your kingdom come. When we pray for your kingdom come, we're praying that people come to faith in Christ, that they're rescued from hell. We're praying that people become more and more conformed in the image of Jesus. We want God to be glorified. That should be our end game in prayer. In every situation that we pray, at the end of the day, we want God to be glorified. Now, that doesn't mean that you and I aren't vulnerable and we pray very specific for what we desire. And sometimes those desires match up with God's will. And those are awesome times. But there's other times where we pray for one thing and God's desires are different. Luke twenty two forty two 42. It says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, remember he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours be done. And I think what God wants from us in prayer is that attitude of you decide. We, we have that issue sometimes going out eating with people, right? Have you? Families. Is there pro- you're going to go out to eat. Is there disagreements on where to go? Our thing usually is not the disagreement as much as apathy. Where do we want to go? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then one person finally does it, and then all of a sudden people have opinions. Well, I don't want to go there. I asked everybody where we want to go, and I, I think what... Our, our temperament, what our disposition should be in prayer at the end of the day is, what do you, you decide, God. This is what I'm hoping for. This is where I feel like would be best. But God, you, you're better at making decisions than me. Psalm 143.10, teach me to do your will for you are my God. Well, whose agenda do you pray for? Is it about you? Do you pray for ease? Do you pray for comfort? Do you pray for your will? When's the last time you gave over your will in prayer for God's? Who knows better, you or God? All right, so we see our awareness in prayer. Why do we pray? We've seen our attitude, how not to pray, how to pray. It's our aim to pray to our Father, for our Father's will. Well, why do we even pray at all? Number one, because we are dependent. Read verse 11. 
with me. He says, give us this day our daily bread. We need God to provide for us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that, 2023 American Christian? Do you believe that? That you need God to provide for you? Think of the Old Testament. Israel in the wilderness. They did not have DoorDash. There was no drive-throughs. How did they eat? God miraculously provided what from heaven? What is it? Manna from heaven. And where did they get their water from? From a rock. So God provided food and drink. There was no, no question about it that if they were going to live a given day, God had to step in and provide. Has God changed since the wilderness? Is that any less true for you and I? That God has to provide for us? Because he hasn't changed. Here's the problem. You and I, we have jobs that pay money. We save money. We pay our bills, all that stuff. And and somehow, some way, we forget that God is still providing through those means. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or change due, or, or shadow due to change. And I think when we start talking about this and the idea that we need to pray to God and ask for God to provide, it is so challenging for us is because we are so self-sufficient. And we currently as a church, we're in Perrysburg, Ohio, middle upper class area of our region. Most people, I'm not naive, not everybody, but most people are doing fairly decent financially. Most people know where they're going to stay tonight. They're going to sleep in a climate-controlled house. Most people here are going to have food to eat. A good portion of people, they're going to have a job to go at tomorrow. And at the end of the week or whatever your pay period is, you're going to get paid for it. And I think what happens in the midst of all of this is we've forgotten that that is God. When you get that paycheck, guess what? That is manna from heaven. When you open up your refrigerator, that's God providing water out of a rock. But not only do we need God to provide for us, we need God to protect us. He goes on in verse 13 and says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God is aware, Christ is aware that we live in a world that wants our destruction. Do you know what a sabotage is? Or somebody who sabotages, it, it, it's somebody, often in the context of government, or somebody maybe from a foreign country who, who's acting as though they're a part of us and they're, they're trying to maybe act as a spy, they're, they're trying to uh, damage something so it can't function like it should. And we have a real enemy. And once again, these are reasons we don't pray. We don't pray because we don't think we need God to provide. We don't pray for protection because we don't feel like we're in danger. You understand, Satan wants your life ruined. Marriage is here. You know what he wants? He wants to destroy your marriage. 
So you need to be praying for daily that temptations don't arise so adultery doesn't happen. You need to be praying daily that the two of you would stay close with Christ and each other so you don't start looking elsewhere. Do you understand? These are real problems that he speaks of. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken me that is common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That we need God to intervene and to help. Think of David. We spent so much time on David going through First and Second Samuel. Would it have been good for David to be praying when he sees Bathsheba? Think of how everything would have been different. A choose-your-own-adventure alternative path if David did not succumb to sin and temptation. Or are you aware of your neediness? Are you praying for God's providence? Are you praying for his protection? Are you simply too secure, too self-sufficient? Once again, back to praying like a child. Your kids are needy and they know it. And they know that you are the one that provides for them, that protects them. But as we get older, man, we forget that. We're self-sufficient. I got this. God doesn't want you to get this because you don't have it. You need him. So we're not only dependent, next we are debtors. Read verse 12 with me. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I think what Jesus is doing here is he is reminding them that they are sinners, that they need forgiveness. Right now in the news, yet again, student loan debt cancellation. We're not going to go in a whole uh, political discussion on that. The truth is, it's out there, and people who have debt tend to like their debts canceled, right? I mean, everybody with a mortgage, wouldn't it be nice if there was mortgage cancellation? That'd be a good Monday, right? Hey, I know you owe $200,000. We're going to wipe it clean. Nobody would be protesting that. Jesus is saying, we need that kind of cancellation when it comes to God. What do I mean by that? What I mean is, as sinners... We owe a debt before God. The wages of sin is death, is what Paul says in Romans. And his holiness, in God's perfection, he can't turn a blind eye to your sin. So there's a debt, and the debt has to be paid in one of two ways. Number one is you and I experience the wrath and condemnation for our sin for all eternity. That's how you pay the debt. Number two, Jesus pays the debt on the cross. You get to experience his debt payment as a result of faith in Christ. And when we start talking about this forgiveness, we need forgiveness, first of all, once for all. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. But you and I also need ongoing forgiveness. I mean, think about it. In a, in a marriage relationship, what if your husband or your wife said sorry one time over a marriage. And that was it. I said, I said sorry. It was 23 years ago. I thought it was pretty good. No, I think there's an ongoing dynamic in relationships. So my standing before God is not contingent on whether I asked for forgiveness when I said that bad word yesterday. It's this ongoing healthy dynamic of it. And we need that forgiveness. I think there needs to be an awareness of sin in our lives as Christians. 
as it ties to prayer. That you and I daily, when we go before God in that secret place, you need to own your sin. Like, God, I'm sorry I thought that way. I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry I was apathetic. I'm sorry. But not only do we need forgiveness, and this is the key he draws here, we need to extend forgiveness. Listen to what he said. Forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. If you are not forgiving your debtors, that is hypocrisy that he's saying there. He goes down to verse 14. If you forgive others your trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Does that mean we earn salvation? Everybody nod your head, no. But what he is saying, as a follower of Jesus Christ, somebody who has been forgiven in Christ, a validation of our faith, an evidence of being men and women and children who walk with Jesus, is we will forgive others. At the end of chapter 5, who are we supposed to love? We are to love our enemies. Same idea, because God has loved us when we were his enemy, we love others. God has forgiven us, you and I are to forgive others others. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. One of Josiah's teammates sprained his ankle a couple weeks ago, and it's, it's fairly severe. He's not been able to play. And as I was reading about it and, and with sprains, sprains typically, they'd grade them, like a grade one, grade two, grade three, grade one, it's, it's a sprain. It, it's, it's not good. Like up to like a grade three, I guess, like it's terror. It's, it's a big deal. And I think here's the deal when we talk about forgiveness. Here's the problem you and I have. We grade other people way harder than we grade ourselves. We look at our sin, it's grade one. It's not that big of a deal. People who have wronged you and harmed you, grade three. So that's why it's so hard for us to forgive people. And what Jesus is saying here is stop looking like that. Because friends, every one of us, we're grade three sinners. You understand? And he has forgiven us. So because of that, it is the natural overflow in view of God's mercies, Romans 12. We forgive people. When's the last time, one, that you confessed your sins before God? And who are you not forgiving? Think about that. Because it, it, it radically impacts our prayer life when we have unforgiving hearts. We think we can have that dichotomy where we go before God and we're praying all the while we're hating our brother or sister or whoever that is. He's saying, no, you need to deal with this. You need to deal with it now. You need to pray. Is praying people become pardoning people. A few weeks back, I think it was a few weeks back, Bob Barker died. Everybody know who Bob Barker is? He was the host of The Price is Right. Uh, I, Price is Right, so I would spend time periodically with my grandma uh, when I was younger, and I would always watch The Price is Right at grandma's. It was my favorite game show, Always would love to have been on it. And my favorite part of Price is Right was the Showcase Showdown. Showcase Showdown was the end of the show. You'd have the top two contestants. And they would have pretty lucrative prizes 
maybe a new car, a trip to Paris, all that stuff. And they would be, and whoever was able to guess the value of their prize, their showcase, closest would win their prize. Every so often, there would be a special situation. Here was a special situation. If you, and I think it was between, if you were able to guess between $0 and $250 of the actual value of the prize, you won your showcase showdown and you won the other contestant's showcase showdown. So it was like winning the lottery of lotteries on the price is right. And I was like, it, I remember even watching, I'm like, oh my goodness, they did it. Like, it, I didn't get anything out of it, but like, it, I was excited for it. Let's kind of go full circle with everything we talked about today. As a follower of Jesus Christ, so if you're in that camp today, you're a believer, you walk with Jesus, you're, you're a Christian, you have won both showcases. You have redemption in Christ, you have a right standing before God, heaven is secure, but you also have an ongoing relationship with a living God. And prayer is one of the greatest realities. That we get to communicate with the living God. That we have a Father who hears us, who answers our prayers. And that's what he's confronting with them. Because here was the problem. They took this beautiful gift of prayer and they had perverted it and twisted it. It was a way to show off it was a way to somehow manipulate God or it was something they completely ignored and threw off to the side because it had no practical benefit in their life. That is not God's intent. He wants prayer to be a place of communion with him where you and I find comfort and encouragement that our prayers to the Lord would, would exalt his name. That's his intent. Let's get praying like that. I mean, think about that. That's your homework this week. Pray. Put the phone away. Put the TV off. Spend some time alone with your God because he desires that with you. He is hearing, he is able, and he will answer. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now and we we thank you uh, for the amazing privilege and opportunity prayer is. We ask for forgiveness for how often we abuse prayer, that we use it for our own gain. We, we treat you as though you have to answer our beck and call, uh, Lord. So we, we are sorry for the, the people that we've become when it comes to prayer. And we pray right now, Lord. We, we pray that you would produce change, that prayer would become just different in our lives, that we would be men and women and children that, that crave, that long for, that desire those secret times with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand.